Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. begin tonight by uh, simply saying I appreciate everybody that's here and everybody that's listening. I'm glad that church and the Bible means more to you than a Super Bowl and football game. Amen. And uh, I just wanted to commend you for that. Amen. And uh, what a blessing that is. Amen. Uh, But we are, as we just read together in Acts chapter number 26, and uh, we have uh, looked this morning and when we, we split messages like this, I almost feel like we were just here a few minutes ago and uh, you know, that there's uh, much that doesn't need to be said Sunday nights. I try to just kind of uh, get to the chase. But uh, we've been looking at a verse number 24 and 25, taking our fall out of uh, where uh, Festus, this Roman governor, tells Paul as he's come to this place, he's been arrested, he is given the opportunity by Agrippa to uh, speak for himself, the Bible says, uh, to answer for himself. And verse number 2 is the way that it's worded. Uh, to give a defense for himself. And instead of uh, making a defense illegally for his freedom, uh, he gives his testimony of salvation because he was more interested in their soul than he was uh, interested in his own freedom. And I thank God for that lesson tonight. Amen. But he says in verse number 24, Festus said, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. And in verse 25, the Bible said that uh, Paul said, I am not mad. In other words, I'm not crazy. I'm not, uh, I'm not delusional, he says. Right. Uh, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And I preached a little bit on those words of truth and soberness this morning. But so we've been looking at the subject in these days on I'm not crazy, I'm saved. And that's essentially what Paul is saying in verse number 25 when he said, I'm not mad at most noble fashion. He's saying, I'm not crazy. But then when he says, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness as he gives his testimony, those words of truth and soberness, we're describing how uh, he was born again, how he was saved. So he's saying, I'm not crazy, I'm saved. And we began to look at some reasons why Festus and others would think that Paul was crazy and why they would think that you and I, who are, by the way, just as saved as Paul was, amen, and uh, have uh, just as much of the Spirit of God in us as Paul did, why they would think we were crazy as well. We saw the first one that Paul's teachings sounded crazy. Verse 13 through 22 bears that out. He said, verse 13, that he's seen a light. He said, verse 14 through 18, that he had met the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that those are not things that are meant to be understood uh, as crazy because those are simply uh, descriptions of what happens in the life of an individual when they are born again. At the end of this morning, we began to look at not only did they think that uh, his teaching sounded crazy, but they also thought that his testimony sounded crazy. And we began this morning by looking in verse 4 and uh, we made it about uh, as far as uh, verse number uh, verse number 5 this morning. 
and we took some time to reference Philippians chapter number 3, uh, verse number 4 through 11. And the first part of his testimony that he gives is that he tells us that before his salvation, he was a religious man. And uh, it's not, uh, they wouldn't have thought it was crazy that he was religious because uh, they were religious. But what they would have thought was crazy is that he abandoned that religion. And I'll deal with some of that this evening. But here's another thing I want to give you tonight is not only does he tell us that it's in his testimony that he was a religious man, but he also tells us that he was a zealous man before he came to know the Lord as his Savior. Take your Bible with me tonight and go with me to Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7. Yeah, and as you're turning, I'll say this. If you remember from this morning, uh, do you remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 when he began to describe his, uh, his religiousness, if, if I can use that term? Uh, he says in Philippians 3, Verse 4, you don't have to turn there. You turn to Acts chapter 7 and we'll be there momentarily. But he, he talked about how, remember he had he said that he felt like in his religion and his adherence to it that he would have the ability to have confidence in the flesh. And he said in verse 4, though I might uh, also have, or he said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law, a Pharisee. And do you remember what he said in verse 6? He said, concerning zeal. Concerning his zeal, he said, persecuting the church. As he describes his zeal and his religion, he talks about his persecution of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and then says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he mentions the word zeal that I'm mentioning now tonight in Philippians 3, 6, that he was a zealous man. Let's note how zealous he was for his religion. For Acts chapter number 7 and verse number 58. Most of you know this verse. The Bible here is speaking about the martyrdom of the first martyr, Stephen. And it says... Uh, talking about those that were here, uh, those that were uh, killing him and martyring him. The Bible said that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They stoned Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. This Saul, of course, was later born again uh, just a couple of chapters from where we are now, he was born again, and we know him today as the Apostle Paul. He is the one that is giving this testimony of salvation in Acts chapter 26, where we find our text. He is the one that is being called crazy for the faith that he has. Amen. And Paul here just tells us, gives us a little bit of a beginning snapshot and how zealous that he was. Let me tell you how zealous he was 
uh, for his false religion and how religion had gripped him that he was okay with holding the coats and the clothes of those that were killing God's man and he thought it was a good thing that this was happening to Stephen because of what Stephen represented and how contrary it was uh, to the religion that he believed in and was trusting in. He was so zealous in that religion that even murder did not bother him. That's right. That's a sad place to be. Yeah. You'd be surprised though how how uh, how uh, religion can grip the mind so much that there are things that you and I would never uh, normally do that we will make excuses for in the name of religion. Brother Lewis mentioned it this morning in Sunday school about uh, the Muslim religion. There's a lot of things they're willing to do in the name of religion that you and I would say, how can anyone do that? That's because of the grip that religion has on them. Amen. He was a zealous man. Acts chapter 7 verse 58 tells us that. Then as we go into Acts chapter number 8, we see these words. The Bible says in verse number 8 uh, that Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. Uh, he approved of it. It goes on to say that at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. And notice those words. And by the way, he's doing this in the name of his religion. He's doing this because of his zeal, because of his devotion, because of the, the excitement that his religion brought. And if you his uh, religious adherence, his dedication uh, to this false religious system, out of zeal, out of dedication, the Bible says, as for Saul, there's devout men carrying Stephen, that his religious, uh, how people that claim to be uh, Jews, claim to be religious, claim to be the children of God and serve God, they just murdered God's man. And while God's people are carrying God's man to his burial, the Bible said Saul was making havoc of the church. That's right. Notice how he said he did it. Entering into every house and hailing men and women committed or, uh, committed them to prison. He's hauling them out of their houses, both men and women, and he's throwing them in jail for nothing more than being a Christian. It's starting to sound like America there, isn't it? That's all right. Amen. I hate to say that. Amen. As I've seen enough videos of preachers being pulled out of their churches, people being uh, given uh, all the cease and desist orders and all of these things, amen. And uh, that was with uh, administration that was supposed to be uh, pro-Christian and pro the Bible, amen. And uh, I just I want to warn you: if those things come, we've got to we've, we've got to make sure that we're ready for that, amen. And we're we're standing for the Lord, amen. Hauling men and women committed them to prison. He threw them into prison. He made havoc of the church. Amen. Verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere. And look, now look at this. We're, I'm still talking about Saul's zeal and his religion. All the things that he did that uh, he meant for evil for the church. 
Isn't it just like God where people are having to be scattered, amen, because a false religion or an ungodly group of people is coming in and scattering them about and trying to put them in prison, amen. Isn't it just like our God uh, to take that scattering? And notice what the Bible said, verse 5. <coughs> Therefore they <coughs> that were scattered abroad went everywhere because of the persecution. They went everywhere preaching the Word. Amen. And then everywhere they were scattered because of uh, this persecution. They were faithful to God. They preached the Word. And the Word of God was spreading far beyond what it would have without the persecution. Amen. Amen. We, talk, we think about how, as you look in the, the verses that follow, it begins to talk to us about the ministry of Philip and folks being saved and a revival that takes place, amen, among the Samaritans, amen. And uh, Philip wins that Ethiopian to the Lord because of persecution. There's salvation. There's revival. Amen. The church of the Lord Jesus has always done better in times of persecution, has always grown greater in times of persecution than, uh, than it ever did outside of persecution. When you're being persecuted, you've got to live for God. You've got to walk with God. Amen. When there's no persecution, we have a tendency to try to get comfortable, try to get relaxed in our religion. Amen. My pastor was saying, uh, he believed that some of the reasons why uh, God lets difficult days come into a Christian's life is because most Christians, if all they had was days where it was all peaches and cream and wonderful sunshine and no rain, amen, we'd never pray. That's right. Amen. God wants to hear us pray so much. Sometimes God will bring things into our life that will cause us to hit our knees just so we'll fellowship with Him. Amen. God used this time of persecution to increase the church and bless the church of the Lord and grow the church of the Lord. But at the same time, it also tells us a a lot about the grip that Saul's religion, Paul's religion had upon him. He was willing out of zeal and out of dedication to a false religion to do things that would not be becoming any other way. His religion had convinced him that these things were right. I'm amazed by that first verse and Saul was consenting unto his death, unto Stephen's death. His religion taught him it was okay and it was right that they did what they did. Amen. Go with me to 1 Timothy tonight. I'm almost hesitant to say go to 1 Timothy because Lord willing we'll be here very soon. But 1 Timothy chapter number 12, or excuse me, chapter number 1, verse number 12. If you find the 1 Timothy 12, you tell me. Amen. You might have another version of the Bible than I do. Amen. But uh, amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> One of my favorite verses in the Bible. <coughs> I used to sign, when I first began my ministry, I used to sign Bibles with this verse. Paul said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And here's why Paul is so thankful that God would put him into the ministry. Y'all pray for me tonight. I've been struggling with my voice the last couple of days. I preached all that I had out this morning. 
I'm going to give you the best I, I have tonight. Amen. But here's the reason why Paul said he was so thankful that God was willing to put him into the ministry. God would let him serve. God would let him be a preacher of the gospel. God would let him be an apostle. Amen. Here's what he said, verse 4. Who, <coughs> excuse me, who <coughs> was before a blasphemer? You see that? Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? Amen. But I, listen to this, but I obtained mercy. Thank you, brother. But I obtained mercy. Why? Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul said, I was zealous about my false religion so much so that it brought me to the place where I blasphemed the true name of God. I persecuted the true people of God, the church of the living God, God's uh, children. Amen. And I was injurious. He said, but thank God I obtained mercy. Amen. When I think of that phrase, I'm so thankful that when I was the way that I was, amen, before I got saved, amen, there's a day in my life where God allowed me to obtain mercy. Amen. I feel just like Paul when he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for He hath counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Amen. I'm amazed that God would ever let me do anything for Him. I'm God. I'm, I'm so I'm amazed that God would let me speak His name. Amen. But thank God we receive mercy. And because of that, He'll let us serve Him. No, no. That's what Paul is doing here in giving a testimony. That sounds crazy to the world. He's serving God because He obtained mercy. And God allowed Him to serve Him. Amen. Despite his wicked past, being zealous in all of the wrong things and false religion, amen, and giving himself to that. Here's one thing I like about Paul. Paul was not someone that was ever half-hearted in anything that he did. Paul was somebody that was either, he was either 100% for false religion, amen, he was going 100 miles a minute for the devil, and when God saved him, he went just as fast for God, amen. If not, he might have kicked it up in the hot amen. Amen. I'm amazed at how many people that call themselves Christians that were okay with going as fast as and as hard and as zealous and as dedicated for the devil and God saves them by His grace. He fits them for heaven. He gives them a home there. Amen. He puts them in the beloved and they're not as, they're not as interested in serving Jesus as they were serving the devil. Sad to be. Amen. But we see it in our churches. Amen. Paul's testimony sounded crazy because of he, he because he was a religious man because he was a zealous man. But I'll give you this one tonight. Look with me at at our our text back in Acts twenty six and verse number twelve. Acts twenty six and verse twelve. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Here's the third one I want to give you tonight. Not only does his testimony tell us, tell us he was a religious man. Not only does it tell us that he was a zealous man. But it also tells us that he was a man of considerable wealth, considerable position, power, and influence. Now, I'll say this tonight. This part of his testimony was the part that really sounded crazy to these that were listening to him speak. 
They weren't as interested and confused by the fact that he was religious. They weren't confused or thought he was crazy by the fact that he had a religion that he was zealous about. But it is the fact that he being a man of considerable wealth, position, power, and influence chose to break away from that wealth, position, power, and influence. Why? Because he met Jesus Christ. Jesus made a change in his life. Amen. Amen. Uh, the Bible says that he was a man of considerable wealth, position, power, and influence here in verse 12. Notice what the Bible said. The Bible said in verse 12, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus uh, with authority and commission from the chief priest, he was palling around. Amen. He was part of these that were part of uh, the, uh, the upper crust of Jewish society. He had a close relationship with them. And they put enough trust in him that they were sending him on a personal mission. They had personally given him the authority that he needed on behalf of the Jewish, uh, or the Jewish religion and Jewish religious teachers to do all of the persecution that he wanted to do against the church. And they had personally committed, commissioned him to do it. Now the Jews don't have a similar practices we do, but <clears throat> it would almost be as if they had licensed and ordained him to do these works of persecution against the church. Despite all of this connection, despite of what they were doing uh, in his life, uh, despite all of that, when Paul met the risen Lord, he simply walked away from the old life and began to serve the Lord. Amen. The Bible says in verse 19, Paul said, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. When God called me, I was obedient. I was not disobedient. I did not I run from the call. I did not try to get away from it. He said, I was obedient to what the Lord called me to do. Amen. Amen. He simply walked away because he met Jesus. He walked away from the old life and began to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Think about this. When Paul was serving in his religion as a religious man and as a zealous man at this point when he had been given this commission, amen, he was feared by the church because of his persecuting them. He was feared by the church and he was respected by his peers. Now, however, just because he has met the Lord, the situation is now reversed where he once was feared by the church and respected by his peers, now he is respected by the church and feared by his former peers. Not only did they fear what his influence could do in disturbing their legalistic grasp on the Jewish people, they also hated him for it now. The Bible tells us that. The Bible said in verse 21, for these causes, because of his salvation, because of his call, of the call of God upon his life. And because of him going forward, going forward in the call of God upon his life, serving the Lord, the Bible said, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple, verse 21, and went about to kill me. They wanted to end him. They feared the influence 
that he would have upon those that would hear him preach as someone that was so interconnected with the Jewish religion and they were fearful that he would do what he was called to do and that is to deliver the people uh, deliver from the people and from the Gentiles amen to be a minister and a witness both of the things that he had seen and in the things that Christ appeared unto him for that he would open the eyes that he would turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith. Amen. That is exactly what he was called to do but it was also exactly what the Jews did not want him doing. It was exactly contrary to what they were doing. Not only what did they, not only was he now respected by the church and feared by his peers, not only uh, did they fear his influence and what it could do to disturb their legalistic grasp on the people, not only did they hate him now for it, but it is clear when you study the life of Paul that they wanted him dead. The Bible said that he did in disregard. He became like the man that he had seen on the Damascus Road. He is now becoming... I like that one that he believed on and received as his Lord and Savior. Now just because he said that he had seen a light. Now just because he said that he had talked to a man, one that all believed to be dead. He had now thrown everything that he had ever known and everything that he had ever loved away. He has now abandoned everything that had once defined his own, his old life. Can I say this this evening? It seemed no doubt to these men absolutely crazy that those that saw him, those that heard him, it seemed crazy to them about the changes that God had made in Paul's life. That seemed crazy about how different Paul was, how his religion had been changed, how his zeal had been altered from one religion <clears throat> to another how he had left all of his connections and all of the blessings that came with those connections the power the prestige the influence all of those things and had now chosen Christ as his savior and was serving a man that they thought was dead can I say this tonight that it didn't just say it didn't just uh, it didn't just seem crazy uh, for those to see the, the change in Paul's life. But I'll say this, it seems crazy in this world when they see the change that takes place in an individual's life once they are born again. Can I say this? Every saved person, when they get saved, does abandon the old life. When a lost sinner comes to Jesus Christ by faith, everything, now listen to me tonight, everything in that person's life changes. Amen. Amen. You're not going to keep part of the old life. Amen. There is something that makes you dynamically and completely new when you get saved. There is nothing in you that has, excuse me, if there is nothing in you that has abandoned the old life uh, that you once lived before Christ, if nothing is different, the Bible declares that you are not saved. You say, preacher, that's awfully judgmental. No, it's not. The Bible says it. 
I'm not judging you. I'm not telling you that you don't deserve to be saved. What I am saying is, is when Christ comes in, you cannot help but be different. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are. Notice that. Let me highlight some of these words to you. Amen. Second Corinthians 5, 17. If you want to look at it in your Bible, you can. But I'm going to quote it to you. Therefore, if any man, any person, be in Christ, be in the family of God, in the body of Christ. Amen. We can say we're put in Christ. If any man be in Christ. Notice these words. I highlighted them on my notes. He is. If you mark in your Bible, you might want to circle that word is. It'll give you great comfort and strength at some times and maybe doubt or discouragement in your life. He is a new creature. Old things. Notice this. Here's a description of what being a new creature is. Old things are passed away. Do you see the present tense word? Amen. Do you see the certainty of those words? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Amen. Notice this. I like this. Amen. All, behold, all things are become new. Is and are in these verses are words that definitively state that if someone is genuinely born again, that there is a complete change and that they are new. Amen. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, <coughs> created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You get that word? Created in Christ Jesus. There's a new creation that takes place when someone gets saved. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Amen. You did. You did. That was not your existence prior to being saved. But when you are saved, amen, you are created in Christ Jesus as God's workmanship, as God's masterpiece, amen, amen, that He is working on and that you are, you are created in Christ Jesus on two good works which God had before ordained that you should walk in them. By the way, this isn't part of the sermon, but I want you to know this tonight. When you think about that Ephesians 2.10, that, is a, that gives us a biblical definition of what predestination is. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You are not, by the, let me say this, when the Bible speaks about predestination, it is not talking about someone that is not saved. Amen. Calvinists say that you're predestined to go to heaven or go to hell. Amen. That a sinner is predestined to go to one place or the other and there's no choice that they have in the matter. If you study biblical predestination, biblical predestination has nothing to do with the sinner but everything to do with the saint. When the Bible said we've been ordained to something before the foundation of the world, he says that we are ordained that we should walk in good works. Once we're saved. Once we're in Christ. Amen. It's God's will that God's people do good works. You don't do God's, you don't do good works as to get in good with God and become a Christian. No, once you become a Christian, God wants you to do good works. That's what He's ordained. When a Christian gets saved, everything changes. From where you would not uh, do very many uh, good deeds, and if you did do good deeds, it was not for the right reasons before Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us 
points out to us the radical nature of the changes that took place in a Christian's life after salvation. When a person gets saved, those that become redeemed by the grace of God still have their old natures. And that old nature is still controlled by its desire and its lust. Yes, you are a new creature, but the old man still rears his head up every once in a while. Amen. I believe everyone listening to me tonight, amen, whether here in this room or online, you would say that you know, amen, you've learned experientially, even after you got saved, that the old man's not dead yet. Right. He rears his head up, amen. We've got to crucify him. We've got to put him to death every single day, amen. Right. But the redeemed still have their old natures. The redeemed still has that old nature that is controlled by its old desires and lusts. Amen. There is still in the life of a believer, even though we are made new in Christ, there is still a hunger within the flesh for the lust of the eyes. Amen. The lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But when a lost sinner is saved, the redeemed sinner now made a saint becomes indwelt by the Spirit of God. They literally become, as 1 Corinthians 6, 19 calls, the temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that, our, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, uh, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, here's what, he's, here's what these verses are saying. Here's what happened to Paul. And we'll see this maybe more in just a moment. Here's what happened to Paul. When he got saved, he was made a new creature in Christ. God gave him new desires. God gave him new wants. God gave him new ambitions. However, at the same time, that his old nature still was still very much alive. At the instance of salvation in a believer's life, a battle commences within the saint of God that will last until the day that they lay their flesh down in death. Right. Romans 7, 24. Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. He says, So there with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul said this, he said, when I let when he said uh, he said with my mind I serve the law of God. When, when my mind is where it needs to be, he said I'll serve God in the way that God wants. Amen. However, if I let my flesh get in the way, I'll serve the law of sin. Amen. By the way, it's the same way it is with us. Paul struggled with his flesh. Amen. The flesh and the spirit both desire to control the life of one who is saved. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you want to stay away from living in the lust of the flesh, the Bible said walk in the spirit. Amen. If you're living for God, my, my pastor used to say uh, one of the one of the one, one of the best ways uh, to uh, de to uh, defeat doubt in your life is to live like a Christian. It's the same way uh, when it comes to battling the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, the Bible said you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. And the, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Amen. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
is what he's saying. He says there's a battle in a person's life. Paul was made a new creature in Christ. But I don't want to tell you tonight that when you're made a new creature in Christ that you'll never struggle with the flesh. That's not true. That does not line up with this Bible. Amen. Paul dealt with the flesh. He said that he did. Paul even said in Galatians chapter number 5, amen, that what he had learned from experience is that there is a war going on in his chest between the spirit and the flesh and how they are always doing those things that are contrary to one to another. And he said so much so that you, it is very hard. He said you cannot do the things that you want to do. There's always a fight taking place. And I'll tell you tonight, whichever one that you yield to will determine who you serve. Romans 6, 16 says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are ye to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. I don't have time to really I preach this tonight, but Romans chapter number 7 and verse number 14 through 23, Paul expounds upon this truth and he gives us an insight into his personal perspective of how he dealt with his personal battle with the flesh. Amen. He felt just like we do. He, was, he struggled with the flesh. He battled his flesh. Amen. And I'll say this. If Paul can be battling his flesh and still accomplish what he did for God and live for God the way he did. Remember, the Bible says God's no respecter of persons. If Paul can do it, amen, you and I can serve God and live for God and greatly be used to the Lord. Amen. While the saint of God still has the old nature that craves sin. And while the saint of God is still capable, listen to me tonight, while the sinner is still capable of committing any sin. Amen. Amen. Any sin that can be imagined, the saint of God has help on the inside now. That's what being made a new creature in Christ means. You're still just as capable of committing sin, sin that any adulterer can, or any murderer can, or any wicked person can. Anything that any person can do, you can still do. But here's the difference. When a person gets saved and they're made a new creature in Christ, you are not alone in those decision-making processes. You have help on the inside right. to the Spirit of God. Amen. You are indwelled by the Spirit of God and He will act as a spiritual buffer between you and your flesh. He strengthens the child of God and helps them in their fight against sin. He empowers us and enables us to say no to the flesh. That's the difference that being made a new creature worked in Paul's life. He was able to say no to the wealth that held him to his dead religion. He was able to say no to the position and the prestige and all of the things that came with being a part of his dead religion. This is why we are said to be different. This is why the Bible says that we have been changed. The flesh still desires the things of this world, but the new man, the spiritual man, desires the things that the saint was dead to before their salvation. We were dead and only desired the things that pertain to the realm of our deadness. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us that. But now we are saved and we've been made alive through Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together or made us alive together with Christ. He said, for, uh, he said By grace... You're saved. 
And the Bible says that Christ has raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because we've been made a new creature. Because there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit still. And how the spirit is that spiritual buffer that we need. And that enabler that we need to say no to the flesh. Amen. Now because we've been made new creatures in Christ. There is a desire for us. Because we've been made alive unto God. Where we once were dead to spiritual things and spiritual desires. Because we've been made new. Because we have been made alive. Amen. There is now a desire within us for the things of God. That's the difference that was made in Paul's life. We now have a desire for things like the Bible. We now have a desire for things like the church. We now have a desire for worship. The worship of the one true God. Amen. We have a desire to give God glory and much, much more. Amen. He becomes the delight of our souls when we get saved and everything uh, that comes in, in line with Him and things that He's pleased with becomes our delight when we're saved. We are different. And for the child of God, it will show. Amen. That's what makes us look so crazy to this world. This transformation within us is a result of the new birth. You cannot meet Jesus Christ and stay like you were before you came to Him. He changes everything that He touches and He changes every life, amen, that He comes in contact with. When Jesus said three in John 3, 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. In 1 Peter 1, 23, amen, the Bible said being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Amen. Those two things, amen, the Bible says that God is working in and changing in our lives. Amen. Can I say this? So, with those things being said this evening, if you have a testimony like Paul that shows a change that has been made in your life, amen, that yes, there still is a flesh, and I don't, want to, I don't want to make anybody doubt that this evening. Yes, you'll still battle your flesh. Amen. But when you're saved, God gives you new desires. God gives you a new, uh, new spirit within. Amen. He makes you new in Christ. Amen. If you have that testimony, can I encourage you? Like I believe we see it in Paul's life. Amen. Paul was changed, but he wasn't crazy. And neither are you. And neither am I. Can I say this? If you can't go where you used to go, if you can't do what you used to do, if you can't be the person that you used to be, if you can't talk like you used to talk, if you cannot walk like you used to walk, if you cannot live like you used to live, you're not crazy. You're saved. Amen. 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 It, when you encounter that old crowd and they think that you've lost your mind, remember, you're not crazy. You're just saved. When you find yourself being ridiculed because you won't do the things that the lost around you do, you're not crazy. You're just saved. And in that salvation, God has made a change for you in your life. Amen. When no one seems to understand you and they say, the stand that you take for God. And when they tell you that you're missing out, remember, you're not crazy. You're just saved. Amen. Here's the last thing I'll give you tonight and I'll be done very quickly. They thought Paul was crazy because his teaching sounded crazy. Because his testimony of how God radically changed his life sounded crazy. 
But then number three, they thought Paul was crazy because his task was having crazy. Go with me to Luke, uh, excuse me, Acts 26 again, back to our text for somebody that may have turned. Look at verse 16. Jesus here gives Paul his task after he's been saved. By the way, let me say this. If God has saved you, He has a task for you to perform. If you're old enough to, I've heard people say, oh, I'm not old enough to serve the Lord. Amen. If you're old enough to be saved, you're old enough to serve the Lord. If you're old enough, Brother Rector used to say, if you're old enough to be saved, you're old enough to be spiritual. If you're old enough to be saved and spiritual, you're old enough to serve the Lord. Amen. Jesus was serving God in the temple at 12 years old and already had such an understanding of the Scriptures. Amen. I've preached in our, in our, in our young adult Sunday school class that, that Jesus should be every young person's example. Amen. If you don't have a work, if you don't have a work knowledge of the Bible, by the time you're 12 years old, you've been in church all of your life, and you've been saved uh, for several years, uh, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Amen. You're never too young to start serving the Lord, just like you're never too old to begin serving the Lord either. But verse 16, right after he's been saved, he said, Jesus told him, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. He gives him his purpose for life, his purpose for existence. And by the way, can I say this tonight? The purpose that Paul is given for his service and his life as a Christian is the same purpose that he gives to everybody in here. And I know this church has heard this throughout years, the years of Brother Caldwell's pastor here, and even during the time that I've been here, but I'm going to repeat it again. Remember we saw this morning that it's not grievous to have things repeated to us, but it's safe for us, amen? Here's what Paul's purpose was, to make thee a minister and a witness. Both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. God, in verse 17, promised that Paul would be safe in serving his purpose. Verse 18, he tells him what his purpose is. When he goes to be a witness, when he goes to be a minister of the truth to those that God was sending him to, here's what he would be doing by being a witness to them. He'd be opening their eyes. When was the last time you gave the gospel and really thought about that track that you passed out or that conversation that you had or your testimony that, you're, that you shared? God created you and saved you to be a witness, to serve in the area of witness and serve in the area of ministering for Christ. And one of the very first things that witness will do is it will be a literal spiritual eye opener when you get the truth into somebody's hands and somebody's life. To open their eyes. Here's the second one he says, and to turn them from darkness to light. I know Dr. Lee Robertson used to say that you'll never give the gospel to the wrong person. And that's true. Here's the reason why the whole world lives in darkness. Part of being a gospel witness is to take people that are born in darkness and living in darkness and for the most part loving to live in darkness and to take them, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that darkness that's gripping their life is showing the power of Satan on their life and giving them the truth, giving them the gospel. Amen. will take them out of Satan's power, out of Satan's clutches, and bring them to God. That's what our witness does. That's why it's important as a Christian to be a witness, amen. By the way, not just in how you live, not just, amen, we live in a day where everybody wants to talk about lifestyle evangelism. I believe in living a life that is a witness, amen, but every once in a while you've got to use your lips too. 
You've got to tell somebody about the Lord. Amen. His task was to open spiritually blinded eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, to turn them from the power of Satan unto God. Why? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified, Jesus said, by faith that is in me. Here we find this man that he is claiming that he has seen a light that was brighter than the sun. We've already dealt with that. He claims in their presence that he's talked to a dead man who is now alive. He, is, he says that this once dead man has called him to leave behind a life of affluence, a life of influence, a life of power, position, prestige, prominent prosperity to go all over the world and tell everyone that he meets that they too should follow this once dead, now living Lord. That must have sounded absolutely ridiculous to everyone in that room. As crazy as it was that Paul's what as what as crazy as what Paul said he had been called to do may have seemed to them and may have sounded crazier still is the fact that Paul is on a full-fledged mission, a wholehearted mission to do exactly what he was told to do. It's one thing for you to be told from this pulpit. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, message after message, amen, be a witness, be a soul winner, tell people about Jesus, live for God, amen, tell people your testimony, share with others your faith, amen. It's one thing to hear it over and over and over and over again, but it is yet quite another thing for you to be actively involved in doing that work that is what amazes this world. That is what folks think is crazy. Amen. They are not bothered by the fact that you have a faith that they'll call it. They are not bothered by the fact that you have religion. But as we have, religion becomes more than just mental ideologies that they have problems with. They think that you're nuts. They think that you are a religious fanatic if you will take what you're being taught and what you read from the Bible and actually begin to live it out in your everyday life. That's what they think is crazy. Here's how convinced Paul was about this task that he'd been given to do. Not only did he immediately start out doing it, not only did he do it every day of his life, not only in our text is he uh, being willing to do it, and even possibly at the threat of his own life, standing before a ruler. By the way, this would be a situation where most of us would be intimidated. He chose to do it when he could have been defending his life. How many Christians would have, would have acted as their own lawyer trying to get out? Let me tell you what we would have done. We would, most of us, would have been become our own lawyers and tried to get out of jail. And here's how we would rationalize with ourselves. If I can get out, I can tell more people about Jesus when I get out. It would God, Paul understood that it's not necessarily about being free. It's just about being where God's put you, following the Lord or where God has you, and being a witness everywhere you go, whether that's in the prison bars or not. Amen. The Bible tells us because of Paul's witness in a time of his imprisonment that there was a that there was a church in Caesar's household. Amen. Arrested in a Roman prison with a Caesar that hated the Christian God and worshipped multiple gods. There was a church right under the Roman Caesar.
Caesar's nose in his own palace. Why? Because Paul was arrested and was a soul winner. Everybody came in the room. God built church under Caesar's palace. Amen. But here's how convinced Paul was about the task he was doing. 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul said this, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Paul said, there's nothing special about me being a preacher. He said, I'm doing what I'm doing because necessity has been laid upon me. He says, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. When he says preach, he's talking about announcing good news. Telling the world the gospel. Telling the world the good news of Jesus Christ that Jesus saved. Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. There is a, there is woe that will come upon me if I don't tell others about the good news that I received the gospel that I trusted in. When was the last time you and I as Christians took our task that seriously that we would literally say that there has been a necessity put upon us and everywhere we go we must tell people about Jesus or else there is woe that will come upon us. Paul said, I cannot help but tell others about what Jesus has done for me. Let me remind you as I close the same call that was placed upon Paul's shoulders has been placed upon each and every person that is listening to me this morning or this evening that calls themselves a Christian. If you've been saved by the grace of God this same call and rests upon your shoulders it's been placed upon you. Woe is unto you and woe is unto me if we preach not the gospel. If we do not proclaim the gospel. God has put necessity upon us and thank God we do have a story to tell and it's more than just a story but it is actual truth. It is reality. It is not a fabricated uh, it is not a fabricated story. It is not a fable. It is not something that can not be believed. Amen? But this is the truth of God. This is the answer for all of those that are bound in sin. This is the hope that the world has and without this message a world will die and go to hell without hope of being born again because they never heard the truth. Amen. And I know there's people here in America, just about everybody you'll ever talk to has heard the truth. Amen. But here, here's our problem. A lot of people think they've heard the gospel and they don't really know what the gospel is. That's right. Amen. We have done such a poor job as churches. Our denominations have done such a poor job of preaching the gospel. And the sad thing is even our Baptist churches have done a poor job of preaching the gospel, a clear presentation of the gospel. We litter the gospel with so many things or we'll tack it on to the end of a message or tack it on to the end of an invitation time or merely just breathe its principles while we're teaching and preaching on other things. No, the world needs the gospel. The world needs the truth. The world needs to know that there was a Savior that left His home in glory, came to this uh, dust ball of a world, born of a virgin, lived 33 and a half years of a perfect life and for your sinful deeds and for my sinful deeds and not just because
because of what you did, but because of who you are as a member of Adam's race. He climbed up Calvary's mountain. He laid his life down. He let them drive the nails in his hand, in his feet. He shed every drop of his precious, holy, sinless blood so that we could accept what took place upon Calvary as he was made the propitiation for our sins. As he was made the sacrifice and atonement for our sins so that you and I could say yes to Jesus. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Make me brand new from the inside out. I want to be yours. Amen. And be born again. Amen. 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 That's the message that will change the world. It'll change your home. It'll change your family. It'll change your life. It will change your existence. It is the ch child of God's purpose for living. And for someone that's not saved, it is the one message, it is the one question that you have got to give the right answer for if you're going to leave this world or have any hope of going to heaven. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Amen. Jesus said, ye must be born again. If you're not born again, you'll die and go to hell. That's the most important question you'll ever answer. More than what you think about this, what do you think about that? More important than what is going to happen with this current administration, more than what's going to happen with your family, more than how the stocks are going to play out, more than how your finances are going to pay out. All of those things could go to the end of the absolute most extreme and ungodly. And if you're saved, we still have nothing to fear. Amen. It was quoted before service. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. If you're fearful today, and you're a child of God, that's, it's, it's, it's unfounded. And I'm not saying that it's sinful for you to have, uh, for you to, to have, some, uh, have some uncertainties and those things. Here's what I'm saying, though. As a Christian, no matter how bad it gets, we don't have to be afraid. Amen. The worst day for the Christian is better than the best day for a lost person. If we lose our life in persecution like Stephen did, Stephen was not missing out because he was martyred for the faith. He just got to be with Jesus sooner. There's nothing for the Christian to fear. And friend, if you're not saved, I want you to be able to enjoy that level of absolute lack of fear, that, that freedom from fear and freedom of, from sin in Christ. If you will be saved by the, if you will take Jesus as your Savior, it'll be the best choice you ever made. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.